0: Welcome into the lounge for another night of talking fantasy football and drinking bourbon whiskey. Tonight, I'm drinking on Larceny Barrel Proof. This one is out of the Heaven Hills Distillery. Now, don't get it twisted. There are your standard 92 proof Larceny bottles, but this barrel proof, this comes in at a flaming 123.2. 123.2 For those first time listeners It's just me Tasting and trying Whiskies, cocktails But also bringing you Fantasy Fire Is the most important thing that we do Here in the Lounge If you don't know already you can find me on Twitter at Roto Lounge My YouTube channel Roto Lounge If you also want to see some pictures of the lounge or some cocktails or whiskey, hit me up on Instagram at Roto Lounge. Also, check out my website, rotolounge.com. So those regulars, go ahead, pull a seat up, sit down at the bar, and let's get to drinking. Cheers. Tonight's episode, I have a great guest, a legendary player in the fantasy football industry, but before we get started, let me give you a backstory on how this fella found out about our bar, what brought him into the lounge, and for those that follow me, know that I went to Indianapolis this year for the NFL Combine, and while there, uh, I was planning to meet up with Garrett Price. For those that aren't familiar with Garrett, you can find him on Twitter, at DynastyPrice, I was planning to meet up with Garrett, which I hadn't met him personally before this trip. And we kept missing each other over the weekend. You know, he was doing his things. I was trying to network while in Indy, so we just couldn't meet up. So unfortunately, I didn't get to see him. But my last day, I got out of bed and I'm getting ready to check out. That morning, Garrett texted me and he says, Hey, meet me for brunch. So I responded, you know, easily. Yeah, man, where, where you want to meet up? So he responds and he says this brunch spot and he adds Jeff Haverlack, Ryan McDowell and Evan Silva might be there also. Is that cool? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's cool, Garrett. So I put my phone down and I said, today is going to be a good day. So I meet up at this brunch spot and I'm like, damn, do they even sell alcohol for brunch? You know, you guys know I'm a drinker. So I'm going into this knowing that I want a really nice cocktail or something strong to take the edge off. When I get there, nobody knows who I am. Nobody's seen me before, kind of looking at me strange. Like, who's that guy? Uh, But everybody was very welcoming. And you know, it didn't appear that they had any alcohol. So I just ordered a water kind of kept myself sat back and just kind of took it all in you know we all chilled for a bit at this spot it it was a really good time really nice time with all the guys appreciate you jeff Uh, but i got a chance to finally meet garrett and the rest of these fantasy legends we talked for a long time long time and just talked fantasy football and strategies and the business and what everyone was doing so i really enjoyed it So, I'm excited to present this to you because Evan always drops real fantasy knowledge and it's going to help us in our fantasy drafts. And we're going to be talking running back strength of schedule for the 2020 season. But one last thing, one last thing. This isn't going to run like your normal podcast. For those that follow me, know that I have a new affinity for the 80s TV show Cheers. And I get it. If you're trying to watch Cheers now, back from when it first aired, you know, as much as we have been exposed to as a society over the years, you know the jokes from back then in the '80s. They aren't as humorous maybe as they are now, but there are some really good storylines, some really good you know funny spots. Um, they have a great cast of characters, and it's set in a bar, right? So it reminds me of the Roto Lounge. And for this episode, since I wasn't able to get video set up, I want you to imagine you're watching the best TV show in the world and is taking place in a bar. I hope you enjoy, and I hope you crush your fantasy leagues. Wouldn't you like to get away? I have a special guest for you tonight. He has a simple introduction, and that's simply the baddest man on the planet. And he once said, and I quote, there's nowhere I'd rather be than in the lounge with this guy. It's Evan fucking Silva.
1: Roto Lounge, man. It is good to be at the lounge with you, and uh, I'm glad that we were able to make this happen. We had a great time uh, in Indy uh, earlier this year, and this is the Roto Lounge. I'm excited to be in the lounge.
0: There's one thing you have to have when you come to the lounge, and that is an ice-cold drink. So what are you drinking on tonight?
1: I'm out in the uh, St. Louis suburbs, O'Fallon, Missouri, and I have an O'Fallon beer here, and it's okay. You know, it's above
0: average. Since you're always bringing heat, I had to reach in my cabinet. And I had to pull something strong. I, I pulled a 123 proof, larceny barrel proof bourbon whiskey that I'm going to sip on tonight. Goodness gracious. I, I think we're going to be drinking like Sammy Watkins tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you read that article where, where Sammy talked about he partied every night. Is he finally hungry for a change? I mean, according to Sammy, quote, he said, eight more seasons, two more Super Bowls and one gold jacket, book it. But I'm asking you, is he robbed of his explosiveness, or can he regain that electricity that, that we saw him coming in as a prospect?
1: I mean, I think that we've seen over the years that, you know, uh, recurring lower leg injuries can have dramatic effects on, on receivers' explosiveness from, uh, you know, Hakeem Nicks to Michael Clayton to, you know, lots and lots of receivers over the years. Uh, and I think that Sammy Watkins still has flashes. You know, he, he definitely can still flash and he plays in a really explosive offense, which, which helps him. And his contract is guaranteed for this year. And I think he's probably going to start over Nicole Hardman, at least for one more year. This will probably be the final year. So he's got some like opportunity based appeal in that, you know, he's playing in one of the best offense in the league and he's probably going to play, you know, 65 percent of the snaps. But yeah, I don't think that he I, and I think he's still a, a good player and a serviceable player. But I think that he is not the same explosive Sammy Watkins that he was coming out of Clemson for sure.
0: No, I'm trying to pull up his ADP right now. He goes usually 9th,
1: 10th, 11th round, somewhere in that range. Like wide receiver 5, I think, yeah, in in the 50s among wide receivers.
0: I've been a huge Sammy Watkins fan. I mean, coming out, I evaluated him, and I thought he was probably one of the best wide receiver prospects I ever saw uh, you know, I thought he was a surefire elite wide receiver. I think I was playing Dynasty that year. I gave up Doug Martin coming off, I think, a 1,200 rushing season and, and one other player just to move up into that 101 to draft Sammy Watkins. So I'm still a believer and I'm probably going to um, I'm probably going to target him late. Are, are you going to have him in any leagues, any best ball or any redraft leagues?
1: Yeah, I have him uh, on some Dynasty rosters. I have him valued in a range where sometimes I do get him in drafts. I do think he's worth Taking a shot on as a wide receiver five slash wide receiver six, I have no problem betting on a guy that I think is going to get playing time in a Patrick Mahomes offense. You know, I mean, he could score ten touchdowns. Like, you know, he could catch sixty balls and score ten touchdowns. You know, like that's, you know, kind of wild things happen in offenses that you know just crush expectation. You know, that that produce well above replacement.
0: I wanted to talk about tonight with you. I mean, I don't I don't want to put too much emphasis on um, strength of schedule because, you know, we right. never know what's going to happen with, you know, the COVID-19 and, and how the NFL is going to change the schedule. I think there's several scenarios where they could move some games to the end of the season or they could expand. But I found a strength of schedule uh, on Fantasy Pros, and I want to go over that. But real quick, before I get into that, congratulations on uh, Establish the Run. Have, have you guys celebrated your first year yet?
1: Uh, No, actually. Uh, We first, we opened up shop. Well, our website opened officially on July 15th or 16th last year. And we're only on June 15th. So we're 11 months old. But uh, we wanted to create like um, a staff of of specialists. And uh, we were able able to get uh, Pat Thorman from PFF, who is a snaps and pace specialist, a a big edge that we had. In fantasy football, knowing which teams, which offenses are going to run more plays and which are going to run fewer plays, and if you can project that accurately, which I Pat can, um, you know that like more plays is more opportunities to light up that box score. And Pat Thor, Pat Thornton is great at that. Uh, Josh hermsmeyer of course, of Air Yards fame. Dwayne McFarland, who I think is one of the best uh, projectors of uh, opportunity. Brandon Thorne of um, uh, one of the best offensive line and defensive line analysts in the game. And, you know, we're just trying to build, you know, the the best fantasy football site that you could possibly arrive at and taking, you know, strong stands on certain players and not uh, not just kind of catering to, to ADP, although ADP should be a, a factor in, in our outlooks, but uh, just, just try, just trying to really help the people and, uh, that, that's a genuine, genuine concern. We had a monster year in year one, and I'm really hoping that um, we can even just match it uh, in year two.
0: Yeah, and, there, and there's no doubt. I mean, if anyone's not following Evan and on Twitter, and I'm sure they are. But it's at Evan Silva.
1: Thank you very, very much. And um, it's been a, a very, very fun uh, experience to, you know, start your own business and, you know, doing doing the thing that you love.
0: So the news broke today that Zeke Elliott. You know, they said he tested positive for COVID. In in this world where players are going to test positive during the season and potentially, you know, miss some time, do we start keeping track of the players that have tested positive? Does Zeke move up our draft board because we know that perhaps he's not going to catch it during the season and miss some time?
1: That is not something that I have built into uh, my projections and my outlooks <laughs> and my you know my takes yet. <laughs> Um, but it's not, you know, it's not a dumb question. It's it's a very, very good question. And it's something that, yeah, we're gonna have to start to really, really consider. We don't even know, is it, you know, did it, I mean, the, the problem is, we don't even really, like, did having COVID-19 damage, you know, his lungs to some extent? Or, you know, I mean, I understand that he had no symptoms, but you know, what what what's the short and long term impact of that? We don't know because this is like a new virus. And on the other hand, oh, did he develop an antibody? You know, I just I am I have no idea about any of that. And so um, I, I I'm not going to be a thought leader on the subject because I'm a total dummy and I, I, I'm not going to pretend to be anything other than that.
0: All right. So looking at the fantasy pros strength of schedule, let's go over the running backs. I, I want to get your your opinions on these running yep. backs and how you value them going into this season. And the easiest schedule on the docket is Jonathan Taylor in the Colts. Tell me what you think about Jonathan Taylor. Does that move the needle for us, seeing that he potentially has one of the easiest rushing schedules this season?
1: I mean, I think that it's a very nice thing to have work in his favor. You know, and the the Colts should be in a lot of positive game script with that really nice schedule. Uh, I don't think we should be surprised if Jonathan Taylor has a very similar season to what Josh Jacobs did last year where Jacobs did not catch many passes, and I doubt Taylor will either with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines in the same backfield. But, you know, Jacobs was a strong RB2 with some spiked weeks, and I think that Jonathan Taylor can absolutely be that. Uh, But, yeah, the the Colts are getting back all five offensive line starters from one of the best uh, front fives in the league. Taylor's going to have lanes to run through. He's going to have big runs, and big runs usually mean big fantasy games. So um, he's he's always an exciting RB2 pick, I think.
0: Yeah, and you talk about the Colts offensive line. Pro Football Focus ranked him the third best in the league. You know, everyone knows about Quentin Nelson. He he was the number one left guard, according to Pro Football Focus. But they also have Anthony Costanzo, left tackle, Ryan Kelly. He was ranked as, I think, the, the top six in centers. Mark Lewinsky and Braden Smith, they're, they're all studs. I mean, the entire offensive line is a stud. And, and they talked about, the the naysayers are talking about Marlon Mack, potentially sniping carries from Jonathan Taylor but in in his three seasons Mack hasn't even played more than 14 games uh, and he hasn't started more than 12 in any season do you think that Marlon Mack is going to be a hindrance to Jonathan Taylor or are they going to let Jonathan Taylor just roam wild
1: no I think that Marlon Mack can definitely be a hindrance to Jonathan Taylor and that's why Jonathan Taylor is not you know really valued among the top 10 fantasy RBs he's more Toward the mid to low end RB2 range because he's got he's you know he's getting hit from a couple of different angles because Marlon Mack is good uh, you know is just a pure uh, ball carrier and then from the receiving side Naheem Hines is going to cut into Jonathan Taylor's receptions so he's going to have to be very efficient on the ground the thing is that you know I think he will be and I think he you know he has a chance to score a lot of touchdowns but yeah Marlon Mack is a guy that I mean. I like to take him as like a 9th, 10th, 11th round pick, as like my RB4, RB5, um, because we know he can ball. And if something happens to Jonathan Taylor or Jonathan Taylor, hey, let's just say he starts slow or, hey, catches a hamstring injury in training camp. How many times, you know, how many times we've seen that with a rookie running back, then Marlon Mack is going to be an absolute stud in, in that offense with that great positive game script from that easy strength of schedule that you mentioned.
0: Now, number two, the number two schedule, and it's a team that no one's even talking about uh, because you know the running backs aren't exciting, but it's the New England Patriots. And you know, if everyone's worried about Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer being the quarterback, why are we not trying to target New England's running back situation? Uh, you know, A question I have for you, we wonder why Stoney Michelle was in and out of the lineup. Sometimes he seemed healthy, wasn't getting the ball. Was he benched because Brady didn't trust him? Was it because his legs and his knees. He just recently had foot surgery. Do you think is going to be a bell count 2020? Are we are we looking at Damian Harris, or are we just avoiding this New England offense in general?
1: Well, I mean, to answer your your first question, I think the fact that Jarrett Stidham probably isn't going to be very good is actually a bad thing for the Patriots' backfield. You, you really want running backs who play in good offenses, and with Stidham there as the starter, the Patriots probably aren't going to have a great offense that gets a lot of positive game script and scores many touchdowns. As for Sonny Michel, he doesn't catch many passes. Uh, he just had foot surgery. We don't even know the type of the foot surgery yet. Is it Liz Frank? Is it, you know, we, we don't know, but just compounds his ongoing health concerns, which of course begin with his knee, which has been a problem for him for many years at this point. Uh, and his effectiveness just really nosedived last year. I mean, he, was, he wasn't he was a good player last year. So no, uh, Sonny Michel is not going to be someone... I'm trying to draft. And I think that uh, Damian Harris, James White, Rex Burkett all get a little bump up. Brandon Bolden is still there. And they even gave Brandon Bolden a handful of high leverage touches last year. So uh, no, at this point, this is not a backfield that I really want any part of because I think there's going to be like four contributors there.
0: Fair. I did a podcast last night and I talked about some, some undervalued running backs and I had Damian Harris listed. I think he's going at running back 56 or 59, just way down the list. And you know what I, I was feeling that if Sony, you know, can't carry the load, perhaps they they see what Damon Harris can do. But um, you know, we'll see how that unfolds. Another guy that I, I know that you like this year, and, and it's the the fourth easiest strength of schedule, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's James mm-hmm. Conner.
1: Yeah, uh, establish the run. We started out big on James Conner compared to the field uh, when we put out our draft kit about a month ago, and we're staying ahead of ADP on him. I've, I've moved him already from. RB 20 to RB 14. I don't think that the the quality competition is re- really there to hurt his snaps and touches this year. Uh, and James Conner was on pace for 1,408 total yards, 14 touchdowns and 66 catches through seven games last year. He got hurt and he, and he played 56 snaps the rest of the way. And the Steelers offense is going to be way better this year than it was last year with Big Ben back. Uh, they're getting back four or five offensive line starters. Um, They've got Juju. They got Deontay Johnson. Um, I think Eric Ebron was a really smart addition for them uh, in the middle of the field. I mean, they're going to bounce back and be a probable top 10, if not top five offense. And I just, I don't see the competition there for, for James Conner.
0: Yeah. I I feel the same way. I mean, last year, you know, his value shot through the roof and, and, you know, he was being drafted and, you know, late first, early second, uh, mid second, but the value just didn't seem to be there. Uh, and then he got injured on top of that. So now that he's falling back in drafts, the opportunity might be there for us to uh, to get a running back that potentially could be a bell cow. You know, Tomlin's talked about how, you know, he's a three yeah. down back when healthy. Um, no,
1: he's he's one of the best values in, in drafts uh, anywhere right now.
0: You have your 150, your top 150, uh, which I try to stay tuned to your podcast and listen to that. Now, where do you have these running backs? Uh, mm-hmm. 13th, easiest schedule. Houston Texans, we have DJ and we have DJ, David Johnson, and Duke Johnson. Could an injury to David Johnson propel Duke into the starting role? Where do you have these guys, and and how do you feel about them?
1: So to begin with David Johnson, um, because, you know, they essentially traded uh, DeAndre Hopkins for him um, and a pick and – or a pick upgrade. And I think that it's real clear what David Johnson is. Uh, He's a very high-risk Um, volume sort of oriented RB2 slash flex pick in the uh, fifth or sixth round in redraft leagues. And in the fifth or sixth round is where I I love to target wide receivers around that turn. And I know that David Johnson was pretty good last year in the first six games with Arizona, but I really do not want to bet on running backs with uh, bad backs. And so I've drafted him a few times when I'm just in a RB or, you know, a running back desperate situation. Uh, But I want to be underweight the field on David Johnson. With with Duke Johnson, who was, again, severely underutilized under Bill O'Brien this past year, you know, at the same time, I would rather take Duke Johnson as my RB4 than David Johnson as my RB2. Because, you know, look, no, I would not say that Duke Johnson would become an instant bell cow if David Johnson got hurt. But I do think that Duke Johnson would become the lead back in a pretty explosive Texans offense, and could be a real asset in that scenario. So, if you want to bet against David Johnson's durability, you know take take a shot on Duke Johnson uh, as an RB four slash RB five. He's never very expensive in drafts.
0: Yeah, and I, I love Duke Johnson this year. I, I haven't loved Duke Johnson before. I mean, there's always, he's always getting surpassed by somebody in the offense, whether that's Isaiah Crowell or it's Carlos Hyde. You know, I know last year when he went to Houston, a lot of analysts were saying that he could be the bell cow, but you know, he's never cracked 500 yards in any of his five NFL seasons. But there was that one year, that 2017 year where Cleveland just threw the shit out of the ball to him. I mean, he had 93 targets, 74 receptions, right? Um, I think around 700 yards. So he has the potential to be a, a fantasy asset. He just needs to get that playing time. And and I think you're right. I don't think it's a bad investment stacking the possibility that uh, David Johnson gets injured. Now, what about uh, um, Raheem Mostert, San Francisco? They got the 14th easiest schedule. Is, is this is he for real, or, or is this going to be another running back by committee in 2020? I
1: mean, I think that he is for real in the sense that Yes, Raheem Mostert is talented enough to be a quality 15 to 17 carry per game back in a really uh, high-functioning offense. But, you know, over his about eight-game run as the 49ers lead back last year, Raheem Mostert had eight catches, eight catches in eight games, and he scored 13 touchdowns. And that touchdown rate is just wildly unsustainable. Like, even if Raheem Mostert suddenly became Derrick Henry and – you know that that passing game usage is non-existent. Like you'd actually have to become Derrick Henry to overcome that lack of passing game usage. Uh, we we need our running backs catches pass catching passes. And now Tevin Coleman is healthy. Jared McKinnon might come back. Jeffrey Wilson I thought showed some things. He made some big plays last year. And this uh, UDFA rookie that they signed, Jamichael Hasty, has gotten some buzz. So to me, Raheem Mostert, and I love Raheem Mostert. I mean. This guy made me a lot of money back in the day playing preseason DFS. He was the, the first guy I really latched on to and just went wild in games. And, you know, if you if you had Raheem Mostert, you were crushing and making a lot of money. Um, but this year, he's just he's this is, you know, recency bias driven. One of the most overdrafted players uh, in fantasy this year, Raheem Mostert.
0: Yeah. And last year, I think he only had two games where he had, you know, more than 14 carries. I mean, he was hyper efficient, but to to invest highly on a running back that that only hit fourteen carries twice seems like a a big risk to me. Now, here's one that um, i'm really I'm really curious about because i've I've seen a lot of uh, analysts or fan analysts uh, talk about Kenyon Drake in the top five, the top ten. You know, I predicted Kenyon Drake to be a breakout last year with the Dolphins. Perhaps I was either a year too early or it was the wrong team. Uh, but the 15th of these is Kenyon Drake, is he the surprise of the year or is he going to be, besides Raheem Mostert, an overdraft of the year?
1: I mean, I- I'm very pro Kenyon Drake. If you isolate Kenyon Drake's eight games with Arizona last year where he just had to jump in the offense, learn everything, and take over as the lead back, you know he was on pace for over 1,300 total yards, 56 catches, and 16 touchdowns. And I think the entire Cardinals offense is going to improve when you're pulling out Demir Bird and Trent Shurfield and Keyshawn Johnson who played a ton of snaps for for them last year. And then you just pull those guys out and you insert DeAndre Hopkins. you the, the Cardinals were number two behind the Ravens in rushing DVOA last season. That was in Cliff Kingsbury's first year with a rookie quarterback just piecing together uh, their backfield, their running backs, and their offensive line. And Kenyon Drake is a playmaker, man. So he's a guy that I can get behind very early in the second round and redraft. And I, I, have, I have no regrets. I'm, I'm I'm very like his upside is very, very high. He can catch passes. You know, he can create big plays. He's playing in a, uh, an offense that is, you know, the, the trajectory just slamming upward. So yeah, definitely. I, I like Kenyon Drake and I like chase Edmonds. When I don't get Kenyon Drake, or, or when it's, even sometimes when I do, I will take Chase Edmonds as my RB four, RB five, no problem.
0: Yeah, I saw in your in your charity draft super flex best ball that Solace um, put together. You you had Chase Edmonds, and you know I was a fan of Chase Edmonds coming out, and last year, th- and this is what kind of worries me. I mean, people that are that are into Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds was Kenyon Drake before Kenyon Drake, right? Against the Giants. Chase Edmonds had 27 carries 135 yards and three touchdowns and he was on his way to being you know a league winner and then the next week he gets hurt then you know Kenyon Drake comes in and steals you know all the thunder from Chase Edmonds how do we know that Chase Edmonds isn't a better back than Kenyon Drake and and were you targeting Edmonds in that that charity bowl because or that charity draft because you know you see the potential that he could possibly take some of that role
1: um I think it's mostly injury uh, uh, related. Like I think that really, really for Chase Edmonds to pop, he would probably need Kenyon Drake to miss time, but Hey, listen, you know, Kenyon Drake is, is a guy that even going back to college, he's never been a, a high volume over the course of a season season sort of guy. He's never had a season like that. Um, so, you know, he, he just really hasn't proven himself to, to be a workhorse at any point in his football playing career. And, That's the risk that you run with Kenyon Drake is that, you know, the the lack of of resume. But we do know that he's a playmaker. We do know he's in I think he's in a very, very good situation. So I'm willing to bet on those things. You know, look, if he if he checked every box, if he had the the workhorse resume, too, he'd be like a top five pick, you know, but he's missing that piece from his outlook. And that's what pushes him toward uh, the top of the of the second round, as opposed to being a legit, you know, right up right there with Alvin Kamara.
0: Yeah, and I was looking at, I went back and I was looking at uh, Cliff, his resume in college. And when he was the the offensive coordinator at Texas a and M, I I think Trey Williams was the running back. He had 700, 800 yards. He then went on to be the coach of Texas Tech from 2013 to 2018. And he never had a running back over 800 yards except uh, two seasons. And that was uh, DeAndre Washington. DeAndre DeAndre Washington, yeah. Yeah, he's he's with
1: Kansas City now. He he balled out. He balled out. And that's the very sort of player that Kenyon Drake is very much like Deandre Washington, but go ahead.
0: Yeah. And, and I was going to say, I look, yeah, Washington had eleven hundred one year and, and 1400 the other year and, and the rest of his coaching career, he never had uh, a running back e- eclipse 800 yards. And, and part of me, I mean, I know David Johnson was a top five back before he got injured last year and then chase Edmonds and then Drake. So the offense is, you know, schemed to open up those roles for the running back. But does things change now that DeAndre Hopkins is there? I mean, last year they had, you know, they like you said, they, they put together Demir Bird and, and injured Christian Kirk and, and, and Larry Fitzgerald. Now they have that focal point in DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Kirk's healthy. You have Andy Isabella another year. Uh, Hakeem Butler and Larry Fitzgerald. So, with all these passing mm-hmm. options, does Cliff, I mean, he lives to pass. Does he decide to throw the football more, even though he does have to? I, mean, I think that
1: defense? he showed us last year that he doesn't necessarily live to pass. You know, he was, yeah. they, they were very efficient. And he, I, I think that he's a guy that, you know, is just willing to build his offense around his strengths. Like when he had DeAndre Washington, who was an NFL player at Texas Tech in his backfield, and he didn't have very many other. NFL players in his backfield uh, at Texas Tech. Actually, I went back and looked at this. His problem there was recruiting. I mean, they didn't have NFL players coming out of Texas Tech during his uh, his time there. And uh, DeAndre Washington was one of the few. And when he had DeAndre Washington, um, who was a fifth-round pick by the Raiders and now plays for Kansas City and um, I think is, is pretty darn good, you know, in a uh, uh, multiple facets and certainly good enough now that he's on his second contract in the NFL, you know, Cliff Kingsbury built around him. And last year when he had a really good running game and a sort of fledgling passing attack where, you know, they had Larry Fitzgerald sort of on his last legs and Christian Kirk kind of banged up. And again, trotting out those guys, Keyshawn Johnson, Trent Shurfield, and, um, Demir Bird and Andy Isabella was not ready. Uh, you know, he, he changed his offense actually on the fly. They went from a team that wanted to run four receivers very often early in the, in the year to then inserting a tight end. And Max Williams actually played a very big role for them in their running game. He was PFFs number one, overall run blocking tight end uh, this past year, Max Williams. And they finished number two in rushing DVOA behind the freaking Ravens, you know? So I think that Cliff Kingsbury has shown his coaching acumen, uh, and I don't think that he is subservient to some, oh, we have to throw the ball, you know, a billion times to win. I think he's going to uh, cater his his scheme to his personnel. Um, and that's one thing that makes me very optimistic about the Cardinals and about Kenyon Drake and Kyler Murray this year.
0: Yeah, there there should be some fireworks definitely um, coming out of Arizona. So the 17th easiest schedule, and I, and I did a separate podcast just on this player, and he's from Chicago. And you, you reside in Chicago, right? Uh, yes, yes. I'm starting to tilt a bit on this guy, and and it's David Montgomery. Uh, you know, the Bears, they're adding some tight ends. They brought in Jimmy Graham. They they spent their first pick on Cole Komet. It seems like they're trying to form an identity there in Chicago. What, what's your take on, on David Montgomery?
1: Uh, exact same ballpark, I think, as David Johnson. Basically a pretty unexciting RB2 slash flex slash volume pick. You know, the, the Bears had one of the worst run blocking units last year. And did almost nothing this offseason to change it. Their big move was signing former Seahawks first-round bust Jermaine Ifedi uh, to a one-year deal. Uh, They have one of the worst quarterback situations in the league. David Montgomery has Tariq Cohen and Cordero Patterson cutting into his catches. Uh, David Montgomery is a guy who's probably going to get you between 9 and 13 PPR points every week. Some people are good with that. Some people like to aim higher. I tend to like to aim higher at the same time. uh, There have been a couple of times in early in the sixth round where I've seen David Montgomery still there. And maybe I went modified zero RB and I started off with, uh, you know, four receivers and uh, a running back in uh, my, you know, inside my top five picks. And then it's the sixth round and I'll I'll take David Montgomery at that point, but there have to be very specific situations, very favorable situations for me to want David Montgomery. He's he's not going to be winning anybody leagues this year. He's going to be helping you sort of get by. And really, at the same time, you're going to be wanting more. You're going to be looking for a, a guy to pick up off the waiver wire that gives you more upside than David Montgomery because very limited ceiling player.
0: So being in Chicago, have you, have you got any Bears games? No, nah, man, I,
1: I got to work on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go to Cubs
0: games, though, right? Oh, hell yeah,
1: I mean... I wish I had uh, tickets, like right down the first baseline, six row for opening day against the Pirates. And I mean, it doesn't even look like they're gonna have a season at this point.
0: Yeah, and my my boys took me to Chicago. Uh, I think two years ago, uh, we went to the uh, Cubs Cardinals game. Now, aren't you originally from St. Louis? Yeah, that's where I went to high school. Yeah. Okay, so you, no, you're not a Cardinals fan, just a Cubs fan.
1: I mean, I, my daughter is a Cubs fan, and so that that kind of changes you. But I just. I just like to go and have a, a great time at the ballpark. I, I don't, I don't really you know, subscribe to teams at, really at this point.
0: Being in Chicago, when, when, when my boys took me there, they, they had me try to deep dish pizza. Are you, are you a deep dish guy or no?
1: Uh, I'm actually not. Um, I like to eat it every once in a while. Sometimes it really just hits the spot, especially uh, Lou Malnati's. But um, I think that there's better pizza in Chicago than uh, the deep dish. But I um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to hate on it. A lot of people love it, and, I mean, just it's just an opinion thing. You know, if you post something on, on like, Twitter about, you know, Chicago pizza, a, a take on Chicago pizza, like, it's, you know, people like, unfollowed, you know, or I'm like blocking you. Trash. But, uh, yeah, but uh
0: it's all for fun, I guess. Yeah, when I was there, I never had thin-sliced pizza, but I heard that's the shit, too. Have you been to uh, Three Dots and a Dash in Chicago?
1: Man, I did a really long time ago, and, um, you know, it's kind of late at night, so I don't have the best uh, visualization of it. But uh, yeah, I've been there.
0: Let me remind you, in case any listener hasn't been there. So it's a it's a tiki bar, right? It has a, you know, like a hidden entrance on the side of the building, right? You, don't you go down like, like an alleyway, uh, and then they let you go downstairs, and then it opens up, and there's this beautiful tiki bar, and the drinks yes. are like twenty bucks, and they're huge. And, you know, I think it's like one one per person limit, but it can really get you shitty if that's your goal. But it, it, excellent tiki drinks down there. Anyone in Chicago, yep. check out Three Dots and a Dash. What about have you been to the library for cocktails there? Yes. Um,
1: yeah, the library. Same sort we of situation. To- actually, now that you remind me about Three Dots and a Dash, I actually remember it well. Um, I don't I don't remember the library very well, but I, I, I know okay. I've been there.
0: Yeah, the library. I mean, I kind of, the, the Roto Lounge is kind of inspired by the library. I mean, you, you, it's a restaurant and it has another, you know, every, there's so many speakeasies in Chicago, right? And I, I love Prohibition. Have, have you done any of those Prohibition tours? Hang on, anything hang in Chicago? On. You,
1: wait, you, did you say that you love Prohibition?
0: <laughs> I mean, I, the, the Prohibition time, right? The, the gangsters and, 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 oh, okay, and all that, yeah. the speakeasies.
1: Oh, I thought you were trying to bring back Prohibition. I was like, well, Roto Lounge, man. I, I felt like I knew you. I don't know you anymore, but um, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cool uh, you know sights to see in Chicago. You know, from the from that that restaurant scene to I mean, the restaurant scene is is killer. Absolutely, it's it's a lot of fun, man. Go you know, the the Michael Jordan restaurant. They they have sick food there. You know, there's Ditka's downtown. There's you know there, there's all, all kinds of places. It's a great place to great place to hang out when it's open. But it, unfortunately. There's not, much, there's not much open right now, man. I, Chicago was on hardcore lockdown, I think, until just the, the past few weeks when pe- then people started eating outside. Uh, when the lockdown started and school ended for my kid, we got out of Dodge. And uh, we went to my parents' house in St. Louis. And the last time I went back to Chicago, which was like about a week and a half ago, um, everything in the city was boarded up. So it is not the best of times in Chicago right now.
0: The one place that is open right now is the Roto Lounge. Get your drink now. We got a few more things to talk about before we get out of here. Rounding out the list of hardest schedules, hardest schedules for running backs this year. We got the Buffalo Bills with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. How do you how do you perceive that that timeshare there, that, that situation there in Buffalo?
1: Well, I thought that the, you know, the way that the Bills used Devin Singletary down the stretch last year, and that was over the final eight games, uh, including the playoffs for Buffalo. um, He received exact, or I'm sorry, the final six games, he received exactly 20 touches per game. Uh, He started to be used a lot more in the passing game. You saw his snap percentage rise well above uh, Frank Gore's. And then they did let Frank Gore go, but they used a, a pretty high pick on Zach Moss. So I was sort of entering the draft from uh, Devin Singletary standpoint, not expecting them to use, you know, a day two pick on, on a running back, but you know, they, they did. And that's almost exactly where Devin, Devin Singletary was taken a little bit higher uh, in the third round, but they were both third round picks. Zach Moss poses significant threats from a, a goal line standpoint. He wasn't a terrible receiver in his college career he looks more like a feature back than does Devin Singletary. I mean, Devin Singletary is 5'8", 203. And, you know, I, it's – and then you have Josh Allen who leads all uh, quarter – he has 17 rushing touchdowns over the past two seasons. You know, a ton of them are from five yards and in. So, this is – I mean, I, there's just not much upside with Devin Singletary
0: you know, you watch him on the goal and he likes to dance a lot. Uh, and, and I think that's where the bills want to, I, I think they're going to be comfortable having Moss in that Frank Gore role where they can bring him in. They know he's going to go North and South uh, versus Singletary who might try to bounce outside when he, you know, he should just take up the gut and run. So are you avoiding that uh, backfield in general, or is there either of them you're going to try to target? Yeah,
1: I have uh, zero Singletary. I might start to uh, grab some Moss because he goes pretty darn late, but yeah, I'm a, I am I do not I really don't want any part of Singletary at this point.
0: Okay. And is that a dynasty or is that redraft?
1: I would say both. I mean, I really think this Zach Moss pick presents a major problem for Devin Singletary based on the draft capital invested based on, you know, the, their, their, the styles uh, with, which, which they play again, you know, Zach Moss very much looks more like the part of a feature back, than does Devin Singletary. I mean, that, that's just, that's just a fact, you know, and I like Devin Singletary, but we should not be surprised if there's an even timeshare in 2020.
0: You know, before I do this podcast, I did my homework. So I, you know, I listened to some things, I read some things and I know that you had some money on Damian Williams as the Super Bowl MVP. Is that right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I did. So,
0: so, so, and, and, and perhaps he should have won. So no, Buffalo.
1: I, I I feel like I won, even though I didn't get the money. You know, I feel like
0: I won. You're always a winner in, in Roto Lounge's book. So I'm going to give you that win. You. Um, but but after Buffalo, it's the Kansas City Chiefs with a tough running schedule. And let me put this out there real quick for you, Evan. Everybody loves Clyde Edwards-Helaire. He was a first-round pick. The very first time Andy Reid has spent first-round draft capital on a running back, Clyde Edwards-Helaire. You know, he played under Joe Brady. You know, it, it It looked like Joe Brady took the Saints offense. You know, Clyde Edwards was running, you know, Alvin Kamar-type routes. But you even mentioned how Damian Williams was a superb pass blocker in the Super Bowl. He had, you know, the chips on, on the defensive ends to create time for Pat Mahomes to get the ball out. That is Clyde Edwards' Hilaire's worst trait. He is an absolute piss-poor blocker. To me, this is my opinion, There, there's an opportunity where— If Clyde Edwards misses a block, Patrick Mahomes takes a hit, they could rely on Damian Williams because he is an excellent pass blocker. He could steal some of those carries from Clyde Edwards.
1: I'm about even with uh, with ADP on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I believe, right now. And then um, I'm way above uh, ADP on Damian Williams. So willing to draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire around his ADP, really haven't gotten him very much, maybe got him once so far. Uh, in my drafts, and then uh, with Damian Williams, get him in like every single draft because you could get him eighth, ninth round. And, you know, that's where I'm starting to bang out like flex options. And, and he's a great, great flex option. And I mean, I think he's a good player. You know, he could pass block, certainly. He's one of the best wheel route running backs in the league. Mahomes loves him. I think that Damian Williams is going to be involved to some extent, even if he does lose lead-back work to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and I expect him to because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a first-round pick. You know, if I get 9 to 12 touches out of Damian Williams every week this year, you know, get him 8th, ninth round with a shot, hey, if if something happens to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire that I have an RB1, like... You know, I'm taking that every single time. Uh, Damian Williams, I, I I get him in like every draft.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's great value. Um, you know, right now I think he's going around running back 47. Uh, you know, that's that's hard to pass up, especially because, you know, in my opinion, you know, and my opinion is is totally different than than a lot of people on Clyde Edwards. I I didn't have him ranked very high as a prospect coming out. I think I had him as before the draft. I think I had him at the fifth or sixth back. And, and there's a few reasons why. You know, his speed, his size, his arm length. There's, there's certain things that uh, knocked for me. Before Joe Brady got there, he was just, you know, kind of pedestrian. But, you know, New England spent a first round draft pick on Sony Michelle. And coming out of college, we thought he was a, a pass catcher, right? I mean, that seemed like that was his bread and butter. Seattle drafted Rashad Penny in the first round, and his downfall was he couldn't pass block at all. So, there are scenarios, and I could be the devil's advocate. There are scenarios that I think that Clyde Edwards could potentially be a bust in the NFL. And if he is, Damian Williams you know, has that potential, at least this year. I mean, he's, I think he's 28 or 29. He has that potential in 2020 to really be a sleeper if Clyde Edwards can't pick up the speed of the NFL uh, in his first year. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk up Damian Williams in, in a lot of my drafts as well. I, I'm gonna be avoiding Clyde Edwards just just because I, I'm not a big fan. But a guy that I am a fan of and, and a lot of people aren't, and they have even a harder run schedule than the Chiefs, and that's the Rams, and that's Cam Akers, and I really love Cam Akers. Tell me what you think about Cam Akers. Is he gonna, is he gonna split time in that offense? Is he gonna eventually take that role? Tell me what you think about Cam Akers. A
1: guy that like you know I. I've drafted a couple times, but I'm never that excited. I'm not as excited about him as I am about J.K. Dobbins. I'm certainly not Jonathan Taylor. Um, I I still like Daryl Henderson, and, you know, I I don't think he should be swept under the rug by any means. Uh, Malcolm Brown also is a guy that's a threat for goal line carries. I like Cam Akers okay, but uh, I I, I don't want him as my RB2, and – I think he's he's fine as my RB three, but I I'm still trying to aim higher. I, I like Jake JK Dobbins better than than him and those guys are really close in ADP right now.
0: Now, the hardest schedule on the year, if the NFL schedule goes as projected, and you know, this is just based on, on last year, so we don't want to put too much emphasis on this, but it's the New Orleans Saints and it's Alvin Kamara, but it's not stopping the drafters from taking him, you know, in the top three picks. My question for you, Taysom Hill. So they just signed Taysom Hill uh, to a two-year deal in April, right? It was a $21 million deal, including $16 million fully guaranteed. But, you know, I dived into that, and a lot of the – he he has, like, uh, $1.6 in performance incentives. And, and, and most of those per incentives are based on passing. Um, so it looks like they're setting him up to be the starter in 2021. But, uh, one, I can ask you about that. But in 2020, do you think Taysom Hill is going to be taking some of Kamara's uh, red zone carries? I mean, I think last year – Taysom had six touchdown receptions in the red zone. I think he had one rushing touchdown. And, you know, we know Kamara had that ankle sprain last year, and that could have been a trigger for that. But tell me what you think about Kamara as potentially one of the hardest rushing schedules, the fact that Taysom Hill is there to perhaps vulture some red zone uh, work, and the potential of Taysom Hill uh, in his 2021 uh, prospects. Perhaps we might want to jump on him now and stash him for 2021.
1: So, um, you know, the fact that Alvin Kamara has a tough rushing schedule, just like, I don't care about that at all because Alvin Kamara, um, so much, I mean, such a heavy weight of his, uh, fantasy value is derived from receiving, uh, usage and, you know, just I'm not banking on him to like, you know, even, even rush for a thousand yards, you know, like I'm, I'm going for, I'm going for his receiving ability and his big play ability and don't care that he's facing a tough uh, rushing schedule. I actually think that might be better because that might encourage the Saints to throw the ball to Alvin Kamara more than run it against those difficult defensive fronts that they're going to be facing. I think that Alvin Kamara is uh, the uh, sort of, you know, not as, I mean, he was the RB9 in PPR. So he he wasn't a bum last year, but he was not the game-breaking presence that he usually is Uh, Because he had some injury misfortune with his ankle, uh, his knee, uh, and he got hit by a touchdown regression. I mean, he scored like some like thirty-two touchdowns in his first thirty-one games, and all of a sudden he had six touchdowns last year. You know, after averaging like fifteen touchdowns per season previously, the Saints' offense can be really good. I mean, they're bringing back four or five starters from one of the best offensive lines in the league. The guy who was leaving up front, Larry Warford, they cut him. Uh, he was their right guard. They replaced him. The reason that they caught him is because they drafted his replacement in the first round. So, yeah, I personally have Alvin Kamara as this year's RB, RB4 overall and number four overall pick. The only guys I would take ahead of him are McCaffrey, Barkley, and
0: Elliott. And you'd probably take Elliott over him because he's already got COVID, right? Uh, I, have, I have
1: not built uh, the COVID into my analysis yet, but uh, I, I, I need to start doing that.
0: Talking about the uh, incentive triggers for Taysom Hill, he's got 1.6 million in performance triggers. He gets 150 grand if he passes for 3,250 yards. He gets 150 grand if he has a passer rating of 90% or more. He gets 150 grand for a 65% completion percentage, yeah. and he gets 250 grand if he gets Offensive Player of the Year MVP. Does this tell us that he's already positioned to be that 2021 no. quarterback? No, no.
1: Those so those uh, those incentives are bargained over by the team and by you know versus the agent, and the fact that the team you know left those in there could be construed as you know they know that Taysom Hill is not going to reach those barriers because he's never going to be the Saints (laughs) franchise quarterback because he has you know. 17 pass attempts in the nfl and he's about to turn 31 you know like that's um you know what i'm saying like i i I would not i would not read too much into the um, incentives of the contract i would read into the fact that they were willing to give him what uh 21 million over two years that he's going to be a significant part of the offense Um, i build into my drew Brees 2020 outlook uh the fact that Taysom Hill, you know, might be on the field even more than he was last year, stealing touchdowns from Drew Brees. Maybe I should build it in more that he could be stealing touchdowns from Alvin Kamara. I mean, that's 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 a legitimate, legitimate concern. Um, at the same time, like, again, so many things are working in Alvin Kamara's favor this year. He wasn't bad even playing through a high ankle sprain and a sprained knee last year. He just wasn't. a a league winner, and that's what we
0: we expect from our top five picks. All right, so while we're on the topic of Kamara, um, you know, the the backs, Dalvin Cook's holding out, right? Joe Mixon, earlier in the year, threatened that he might hold out. When when McCaffrey signed his deal, Kamara, you know, Kamara's on on record saying, you know, they're going to have to show me the money as well. Do you you think any of those running backs, you think they hold out? I mean, I don't think they have much leverage with the new – uh, CBA. But are, are you concerned at all that Camaro doesn't show up or are you think he's going to play?
1: I, I have no reason to believe that Alvin Camaro is not going to show up. I'm going with that. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, most of these holdouts don't happen uh, when they do start to get real. I mean, we usually know it. It's just it's, it's a risk that you have to deal with. But I mean, the biggest move that I made based on any holdout, so f- any potential holdout so far is just moving Dalvin Cook from RB4 to RB5, and then moving Al- Alvin Kamara ahead of him. So um, I think the the best approach is to be pretty conservative about these holdout situations.
0: Let's real quick, I know you got to go, Evan, you got things you got to do. Let's talk about some late round quarterbacks that can potentially help you win your league just going based on strength of schedule the easiest half of the league all right we got a few guys we got Nick Foles who's got the the second easiest strength of schedule Dwayne Haskins has the third easiest Teddy Bridgewater has the fourth easiest Big Ben 11th Tyrod 12th Jimmy G 14th Gardner Minshew any of these quarterbacks are you targeting do you see any of them potentially breaking out giving you an opportunity to win your league in 2020
1: uh, I'm not sure that uh, this player will win you your league, but I do think that uh, he's a good pick, and that's Jimmy Garoppolo uh, because of the the schedule that uh, off which he starts. Uh, first of all, uh, D- he, this is only his second full year under Kyle Shanahan. You, you realize they made it to the freaking Super Bowl uh, in Kyle Shanahan's first year with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, this will be the second year for Debo Samuel in the offense as well, and Debo Samuel kept getting better. As last year progressed, they they traded up for Brandon Ayuk. George Kittle, I, I don't even think that people remember the the injury problems that he endured uh, last year. And I think that he's a guy who, like, you know, he's only had his career highest five touchdowns so far through three seasons. And, I mean, I think he's definitely a guy who could, like, all of a sudden score 13 touchdowns, you know, and... All you need from Jimmy G from the other guys is 17 touchdowns at that point to get to 30. Jimmy G is 21-5 and in his career. I like him as like a long shot MVP bet. You know, you could get him at like 75-1. to I think he's a breakout candidate. And listen to this opening schedule that they face. So the 49ers open week one at home against the Cardinals. And the Cardinals were able to—those were two shootout games last year, 49ers and Cardinals. Cardinals were able to score on the 49ers defense. And I think that Jimmy Garoppolo can absolutely, you know, put up efficiency against that that Cardinals defense uh, at home. Then they go to New York for two straight games. So they won't even have to fly back to San Francisco in between these road games. They can just stay in New York. They face the Jets and the Giants. And those are two teams against which I think uh, opponents are going to have a lot of passing success. In week four, they go back home and they face the Eagles. And the Eagles have talent every year on defense and they're terrible in pass defense every single year week five at home again facing the dolphins who have no pass rush week six again at home facing the rams who lost wade phillips and a ton of talent on defense so i think that garoppolo gets off to a really hot start i like him uh, as he's one of my favorite late round draft picks uh amongst quarterbacks i actually might move him ahead of carson wentz who just lost brandon brooks One of his best offensive linemen but yeah jimmy garoppolo i like him to start hot and um potentially vie for mvp candidacy.
0: you know i've I've really listened to you really look up to you and 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 the one thing i do like about you evan is that you tell a story every time you talk about fantasy football you tell a story and i love that and and i want to mold my game after you coming up in the business world they say act like where you want to be not where you are, you know, and you're an inspiration to a lot of people. So I appreciate you taking your time, coming into the lounge, having some drinks with me, you know, shooting the shit, talking football. But Evan, before I let you go, and, and we didn't get the chance to do a video this time, tonight we'll just end it with uh what I'm gonna call last call. And I want you to give me a player that you've been a truther on for most of your career, but 2020 is their last chance. This is the last call. If they don't produce this year, you're done with him. Do you have any players like that? Yeah,
1: man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, besides, I, would say, I would say Rex Burkhead, except, you know, hey, if he, you know, landed on injured reserve and you know, missed all 16 games, I would still think, I would still believe in him in 2021. You know, um, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, I would say that Rex Burkhead would absolutely be one. Maybe Josh Reynolds a little bit. Josh Reynolds of the Rams jumping into that Brandon Cooks role. I really liked him coming out of college. He's been, I don't know, he's been a flash player, I would say, uh, so far in the NFL. But uh, the Rams sound like they're really committed to maybe giving him uh, an extended shot. Duke Johnson, I would say that I'm definitely a truther on. And I've drafted him plenty so far, you know, taking him as my RB4. I have no pro- I, lo- I love taking him as my RB4.